Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. A few years ago, I became sick. And as my temperature was rising, I couldn't help my body from stop shivering. It just kept shivering. And as I was feeling weak and exhausted, you know, puking and wobbling, my mom looked at me and told me, Chat, I think, I think you should go to a doctor. Both her and I knew that I desperately needed to go to a doctor. But we also knew that there was no way I would be capable of going to the doctor all by myself. I needed someone to drive me. I needed someone to help me walk, to speak even on my behalf. And as much as I wanted to get restored back to my optimal health, I couldn't even muster enough strength to bring myself to a physician. And we've all perhaps been there physically, but what if this was us spiritually? What do you do when you're burnt out? When you no longer have the energy to come to Christ? How can you be restored restored back to life if in your reality, you're not in the place, you're not in the condition to go to the healer on your own. This afternoon's message is entitled Restored to Life, but before we dive into the word, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Loving Father, we thank you again uh, for another blessed day, and I ask that you please continue to be with us and allow us to be restored. This I pray in the precious name of Jesus, amen. I'm not sure about you guys, but nowadays, I have to mentally prepare to go to church. I hope that I'm not the only one in this case, but it wasn't always like this. I wasn't always exhausted to go. There used to be a time where going to church was was natural, more routine-like. I remember in my first year at university, uh, Friday night, all of the girls will start changing, trying to plan what to wear Sabbath morning. And my roommate and I, as we're like in front of the mirror, we knew that this was the routine of the entire dorm because above us, we can hear girls walking in their heels and then they start playing music and they start, I don't know if they were doing cartwheels or something, but either way, it was really active to the point where our picture frames would fall. And that was just kind of the environment of how excited we were to prepare to go to church the next day. There used to be a time where my heart would just be aching for community. I, see, I just wanted it so badly. But then the pandemic hit. And before you knew it, we were starting to adopt and adapt to a new norm. 
And for many of us, I think we can say that there was a period of time where we were hurriedly trying to save church, looking for ways to preserve community, to continue building one another up, staying connected despite all these precautions. We tried doing church over Zoom or holding services pre-recorded or having um, live stream sessions where the participants would just perform on stage. And after a while, if I'm being honest, I, I got used to it. I, I kind of liked the fact that I could cook my breakfast and enjoy it while Pastor so-and-so was talking or... I like the fact that I could be lying down in my bed, tuning into the Sabbath school lesson, and I appreciate that I didn't have to dress up formally anymore. I could just be lounging around in my pajamas. It was really comfortable. Um, online church hopping became a thing, and some Sabbaths, I, I didn't even tune into church. I just took that whole day to myself. I was exhausted worn out, weary, and tired. That's the condition COVID revealed my faith to be in. It wasn't always like that, you know, dreading or hoping that church would become online, but there are definitely seasons in my life that are appearing more frequently than before that have made me realize that many of us have come to a point where we are exhausted we can't move forward. We're no longer as energized or motivated or excited to do anything. And if we're being honest with ourselves, maybe we'll tell ourselves that it's just too much. Dare I say, going to Jesus and doing his work has become burdensome, a rather impossible task. If you've ever felt this way, don't lose hope. There is someone who has experienced this as well and will now look into his story to discover the process of being restored back to life. In the Gospels, there was also a man who was in desperate need of restoration. But this man was in a position where he was incapable of going to Jesus. I invite you guys to turn your Bibles with me to Luke 5, starting in verse 17. Luke 5, 17. Luke 5, 17, it reads, One day, Jesus was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. What we see in this verse is that Jesus was teaching, but Jesus' teaching wasn't the strange concept that Luke was trying to portray. What's strange is that Luke takes extra time to point out who Jesus' audience was. And if we were looking at Jesus' crowd, we see that Jesus is joined by Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. You know, maybe it was just a coincidence, but... For me, this is kind of giving me 
conference vibes where church leaders or elders gathered all over the country come together to listen to one man preach. This is a spontaneous, if you rather, camp meeting or a spontaneous um, conference meeting. And now during this time, Jesus' popularity hadn't reached its full climax, but he was definitely getting some recognition. He wasn't a Doug Batchelor or a Ty Gibson, but he was definitely starting to place his mark amongst the spiritual leaders. And since this story is placed shortly after Jesus' own baptism and wilderness experience, perhaps Luke is indicating that Jesus is somewhat fairly new into his ministry. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law could have been there for a particular reason, to evaluate Jesus' credibility. But the verse doesn't stop at that. Luke continues setting up the stage of this story as he points out that the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. In other words, for analogy's sake, Jesus had gained another superpower, if you will. He wasn't just your local pastor, but now he was also your family doctor. And it just so happened that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were also there, sitting down, listening, and waiting to discover who Jesus was. Let's pick up from verse 18. And some men were carrying a man on a stretcher who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in to set him down in front of Jesus. But when they did not find any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles of his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Mark 2 puts it this way. Some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four men. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So here we have it. Jesus, you know, is preaching. A bunch of Pharisees and teachers of the law decided to come from all over the place to, to see what was going on with Jesus. Is he someone we can endorse? Is he just another false uh, teacher? And as this was all happening, um, we could see that th this group is trying to discover who Jesus is, but there's also a second group. And this second group, I picture them approaching the church building with their friend lying on a stretcher. He's unable to move, paralyzed. Like a newborn baby, he must rely on others to get from point A to B. To get physical exercise, people have to like move his arms for him, move his legs for him so that he can get a range of motion. He requires bladder and bowel assistance. Even his emotional health is dependent on the community. Otherwise, as a paralytic, he's at a greater risk of depression. So in order for this man to survive, he must depend and entrust himself to those around him at all times, 
even in his most vulnerable moments, his most shameful experiences, whatever he does, he needs someone there. As his friends start carrying him towards the church entrance, they see a crowd of people sitting outside, they themselves unable to get in. The lobby is packed, filled with people. People are standing against the walls. Crowds are piling and spilling over the pews. And as I look at the paralytic's eyes, I kind of imagine him taking a sigh of relief. I imagine myself, um, I can imagine myself where he thinks to himself, you know what, praise God that I don't have to go inside. There are way too many people. I don't want them to see me in this condition. I don't want them to see me and start judging me and start speculating how I got to this state. And as spiritual paralytics, perhaps we are holding similar sentiments as well. Lord, praise God, church is online so that they don't have to see the results of the mess I was in this week. Praise God, church is live stream so that others may not judge me. Praise God that church is on Zoom so that others don't realize how low I've come, how I've almost just given up my faith completely. But you see, this paralytic, he couldn't hide his problems. His very own body revealed his troubles. Some of us could hide, you know, behind our pretty outfits, our flashy suits, but this paralytic had no mask to wear. And perhaps if I were him, I'd be very reluctant to go in front of people. In fact, on my own, I wouldn't even be able to go. And there comes a point in time, even in our own spiritual journeys, where we're so worn out, so discouraged, soaked in shame, where we don't have enough strength to bring ourselves to Jesus. But brothers and sisters, there is a family of God. There is a group of people who are sitting around you that can carry you when you don't have the strength to press on. And just as the friends of the paralytics didn't give up, I pray that as a church community, we also don't give up on each other. Being restored to life may come through community. And so the Bible tells us that this second group, the friends of the paralytic, start getting creative in order to bring their friend to Jesus. Lifting up the paralytic, they bring him onto the rooftop. Dust starts flying into the air as they dig into the roof made of clay tile. Seeing Jesus, they begin lowering the paralytic until he lies before him. And the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. In that room, we established that there were two groups of people. One filled with individuals who were there to discover who Jesus was. Perhaps they had their doubts, their skepticisms, um, they were trying to test Jesus' teachings. Yet there's a second group 
And this group knew exactly who Jesus was. They heard of the works that he was doing, and they began believing in Jesus' caring and compassionate heart. And when news came that he was just in their neighborhood, they had to go and bring their friend to him. They had faith that Jesus would heal. And so lying before Christ, the paralytic could barely look at Jesus, his heart aching from inner wounds that his body could only tell a glimpse of. Desperate for healing, for restoration, the paralytic was aware that he himself couldn't even bring himself to Jesus. And Jesus kindly looks at him and declares, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Friend. Other versions say son, yet all of these terms display kinship and closeness. His inability to come to Christ on his own did not take away from his value. His condition, despite how bad it was, did not decrease Christ's love for him. Maybe you haven't prayed in a long time. Maybe it's been years since you touched the Bible that's been collecting dust. But to God, none of that makes you less than. And in response to Jesus' love for the paralytic, he declares outside that his sins are forgiven. And when I read that, I had to question why. What an odd thing to do, especially when clearly the paralytic brought him there to be physically healed, not so that his sins could be forgiven. But you see, restoration is not just physical wholeness. True restoration is spiritual and emotional soundness. So sure, Jesus wanted to fulfill this in this man's life. And yes, Jesus saw and acknowledged the inner brokenness that this man was hiding. But, but why not just forgive him in private? Why declare it to everyone? In my opinion, it's kind of an unexpected move for Jesus to make. So let's step into the cultural climate of this day. During this time, sin was closely correlated with sickness. Instances of, for example, Moses' sister being sick with leprosy because she did wrong or promises that you won't get sick if you obey God. These kind of instances played into their worldview. Even in John 9, we see this idea playing out before Jesus' disciples when they ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be like born blind? It was always assumed that if one was sick, it was because of a great sin committed. So maybe the crowd, even if they saw the paralytic man coming towards them, maybe they didn't want to let him in because of how sinful he looked and how sinful they deemed him to be. It's uncomfortable. It's like sitting by the boy who has cooties. You just don't want to do that. And truth be told, just like all of us, the paralytic was also a sinner in need of forgiveness. But in the eyes of society, he was the worst sinner, the biggest sinner of them all. Because what kind of sin do you have to commit 
in order to become paralyzed. He must be a monster. He must be the spawn of the devil himself. And so with all of these accusations, maybe the paralytic wanted to avoid attention. But come on, he literally came down from the sky. How could people not look at him? And as the room sees the paralytic in his severe condition, accusations perhaps start popping into their heads. Eyes start glaring at this paralytic, and he lowers his head to avoid their piercing glares. His heart starts pumping, his eyes start watering, his ears start growing red, when all of a sudden, Jesus' words cut the deafening silence. Friend, your sins are forgiven. The audacity Jesus had to say such a thing. This statement took the room by surprise. Even the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said amongst themselves, who is this man that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive, sin, who can forgive sins except God alone? Are we catching what just happened? Let's just break it down for a bit. So Jesus, a man, a human, is preaching. He's accompanied by Pharisees and teachers of the law when a paralytic enters the room. All eyes turn to the paralytic because the paralytic is now the worst sinner in the room. They probably don't want him there. And all of a sudden, Jesus makes a blasphemous statement. He declares that this man's sins are forgiven, making him appear to be now the biggest sinner in the room. Does, does that make sense? Kind of? Okay, so just to put it this way, Jesus took the bullet off of the paralytic and put it on himself. In other words, in order to restore the paralytic, Jesus was not afraid to have his pure reputation put on the line. He was not afraid of being mistitled as blasphemous. In the eyes of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, Jesus became the epitome of sin. And he took that on himself in order to restore he who is paralyzed. Church, we say that we are representatives of Christ, that we're his body, an extension of his healing hands and his caring heart. But are we willing to do as Christ did and risk all in order to restore others to life? Verse 22, but Jesus, aware of their thoughts, responded to them and said, why are you thinking this way in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? This is like asking the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like either way you can order, uh, you can argue which one is correct. And so the same logic applies here. For to say that someone's sins are forgiven implies that you are God. But to say, rise up and walk, also implies you're God. Yet in reality, any one of us can say those things. I can say, 
you know, your sins are forgiven. But are they really? I could say that you're healed. But is that, you know, your true actuality? No. Only God would have the ability to make his words become truth. And that's exactly what Jesus goes on to do. He continues to tell the crowd in verse 24, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. And immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. They were also filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. He was restored to life. I believe that our world is in need of seeing remarkable things today. Our world, our church, is in need of being restored to life. And as a church family, I challenge you to question ourselves. There are people in our own circles who are perhaps sitting beside you or who are outside of this building who are just tired, worn out, exhausted, that they can't even bring themselves to receive restoration. Let's not blame them. Let's not judge them for being in that space. Let's not pressure them to get their life together in an instant because that's not what the paralytic's friends did. That's not what Jesus did. But like Jesus, like his friends, are we willing to get creative, to bend tradition, to go outside social norms, to risk our reputations, to go out of our comfort zone in order to bring about restoration. My challenge is that if you are in a space by God's grace that you have strength, I challenge you to be a daring community that encourages and seeks restoration. There are some others of you who may be in a position where you are like the paralytic, worn out, exhausted, weary, unable to move forward. You know that you're in need of restoration and you desire to be made whole once again. My challenge for you is to find a community. It might be scary to completely entrust yourself and to be vulnerable with others, but through community can come restoration. Perhaps you're afraid of how Jesus himself may view you because you haven't come to him in so long. Know and remember that Jesus calls you his friend, his daughter, his son. You are precious in his sight. He's willing to give up everything in order to grant you restoration. In fact, he has given up everything to guarantee that. In response to his desire to restore, may we trust him and leave ourselves in his restoring hands. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.